For this episode, we've partnered with Needed, the leading women's health supplement brand recommended by nutritionally trained practitioners. Did you know that 95% of women who take prenatals are still nutrient deficient? Most prenatals are designed to meet bare minimum needs, not to optimally nourish you. We love that Needed's products are based on the latest clinical research and that they focus on care before, during, and after pregnancy. Get optimal nutrition and save 20% off your first month at thisisneeded.com with code FDU. You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I am here with my fantabulous co-host, Dr. Carrie Bedient from Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hello. And Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. Hi, everybody. How have you guys been doing? Good. Doing good. Hanging in there. Making it through the summer. Carrie, I think you've been up to something you want to share. (laughs) So I I was thinking about this the other day. So have you guys seen the book, like the five love languages? Yeah. Oh, I have a story about that book, but go ahead. So they focus on like, is it words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service to others that I can't remember right now? Like all of those types of things. And I was... I was thinking because I had come home from a super busy week and and it was the weekend and my husband just took care of everything so that I could nap. And I Aww. feel like the love languages don't go specific enough. Like, yeah, that probably counts as acts of service, but no, no, my love language is sleep. <laughs> so anyone who can help me get more sleep in my life, that is... I mean, you have my undying gratitude. So what is your specific love language? Mm. Words of affirmation. No, no, no. More specific than that. That's like, yeah, sure. Acts of service. That's mine. Fine. No, no. It's the, are you, is it that, are you so brilliant at what you do? Or is it, you look so absolutely gorgeous today? Or is it, oh, I see what you're saying. your hair is perfect? You did a good job, Abby. Somebody that pats me on the back. That's my love. That's my love language. Affirm- they give me affirmations that I'm doing the right thing. So it's words of affirmation? Words of affirmation, yeah. I think mine is like when somebody actually does, what what is it called when somebody actually does? Acts of service. Acts of service. Yeah. I think it's acts of service. That's what a lot of men are acts of service. So you're you're a lot more on the spectrum, I think, of being more, instead of touchy-feely, you're more like, get it done, get it done. Just do yes. it. Yeah. Kind of like I, a think I think I appreciate acts of service because I feel like I do a lot of them and I don't necessarily get a lot of them. And so yep. that's what I crave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I need to, I want to tell my backstory. Okay. So about six or eight years ago, I was at a residency reunion. So I did residency at the University of Florida. And so we were talking about for the next one, who were we going to have for speaker? And somebody said, well, why don't we have Shelly Chapman's dad be the speaker for us? And I was like, okay. So backstory, Shelly Chapman is a maternal fetal medicine specialist. I believe she's in Greenville. I know she's in um, the Carolina, South Carolina. Wonderful, sweet person. She's a couple years ahead of me in in residency. Just the nice person that took you under her wing and was just like, she was so nice and so helpful and so just wonderful person. Anyway, long story short, so Shelly Chapman's father is Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages. (laughs) Oh, 
That's and cool. so she's she's a product of Gary Chapman, and I can tell you she's one of the sweetest, kindest human beings. So, you know, if that tells you anything about what kind of dad he is and what he knows about all that stuff, <laughs> she's a good example of that. So, That's awesome. That's fabulous. That's awesome. All right, let's do a couple of questions today. Our first question is, hi there. In 2020, my husband and I started trying for a baby and had a chemical at the end of 2020 and another chemical in July of 2021. In July of 2022, we saw a fertility doctor for the first time. They have a block tube, but decided to try IUI. The first two IUIs failed. On the third, they had three follicles and decided to move forward before going on to IVF. They were pregnant with triplets. I had a healthy pregnancy until 22 weeks, and then our baby A had no heartbeat and sent me into preterm labor at 23 weeks exactly. We lost all of our babies, and it has been heartbreaking. Aww. We still want a family, though. And We had our babies in June 2023, and how soon can I see my fertility doc to talk about options. Thanks. Oh, well, I mean, it's, I think, it, I mean, that's awful. I can't imagine going through that. And I'm so sorry for you. Um, you know, I can't imagine, you know, trying to think about doing more cycles to get pregnant again. I think at any point, really, you could sit down and talk to your doctor. I think most people would want to make sure, A, that you've seen a maternal fetal medicine specialist to kind of talk about, you know, kind of down the road, if there's anything that, you know, obviously you had triplets, but if there's anything else that could have caused the miscarriage and anything that needs to be done to prevent something bad like that from happening again. Um, I think most data kind of suggests, though, that really you want to wait about a year before you try and get pregnant again um, to decrease kind of problems with pregnancy. Um, but there's no reason you can't meet with your fertility specialist and kind of be thinking about what you want to do. I think, you know, they need to evaluate your uterus just like we would in anybody that had a, a pregnancy or had a, had a miscarriage. Um, um, and then just, um, you know, basically just make sure there's anything else we can do differently to make the outcome better next time around. I would agree with you can go back to see your fertility doc at any point. And especially depending on what you want to do, there's for sure there's going to be some steps in between. You're going to need to see MFM to go through what are the potential risks? Is is this just a fluke? Do you need um, recurrent pregnancy loss testing, which anytime you have a loss after 20 weeks, that oftentimes gets kicked into play. Um, you're going to need uterine evaluation, probably with a hysteroscopy because you had a bunch of occupants in there and they just want to make sure that looks good. The very least a saline ultrasound. And then um, if you decide that IVF is the path that you're going to go on, you can do the egg retrieval and get all the embryo information back. Like you can do that long before you would actually do a transfer. And so you can get all of your ducks lined up without feeling the pressure of, oh my God, I got to do this now. I feel like I need a family yesterday. It's, it's almost kind of nice when your doc says, nope, you are going to wait. Like we are not doing a transfer before X date, whether that is three months, six months, a year, whatever it may be. We're not doing anything before that point. So you have plenty of time to take care of yourself, go to therapy. Like you're going to be grieving this loss for a long time. And mm -hmm. it's, that's going to include into your next pregnancy. So start dealing with that ish now. Um, and Make sure that you're recovering from the anemia that oftentimes comes from pregnancy. Make sure you're eating well. Make sure that you are, uh, that you lose the weight that you may or may not have gained both during the pregnancy and after if you are an emotional eater, because I can think of no better reason to eat a full chocolate cake every other day than losing three babies all at once. And so starting to get yourself back into truly taking care of yourself, that's going to take some time. So you can start all that now and you can go talk to them now and say, okay, what do I need to do? And follow follow up with them periodically so that you kind of have your plan. Yeah, I, I think there's not necessarily a hard and fast rule, especially if you delivered your babies vaginally. Um, 
I think a lot of this has to do with making sure you're in the best place, both physically and emotionally. And like Carrie mentioned, you're still, I mean, even if you're kind of a fast griever, which three months is a really fast time for something of this magnitude, um, you know, you're, there are going to be things that, that can trigger you and making sure you have that mental health support, making sure you have your social network where you have people to call when when you're having not such a great day and and that type of thing, that those things are going to be very, very important. And there's some people that, you know, the best thing for them is hopping into looking into the future. And, and that's great. And that's the right thing for some people and not the right thing for others. So, you know, we want to, like everything else we do, we want to dot our I's, cross our T's, but your safety and well-being is our number one and pregnancy is number two. Absolutely. All right. So today we are going to kind of talk about some things we don't necessarily think of going together. So (laughs) we're going to talk about contraception. So different types of contraceptives you may or may not have used, how they can potentially affect or not affect your fertility. And when do we use some of these options when you're actually going through fertility care? Because even though, even though we are aiming for a baby, there are a couple of these that we do occasionally use um, for for various reasons. So we're gonna we're gonna start off. Let's start off with the easy one: birth control pills. Okay. So I'm curious, how often have the two of you told a patient we need either told a patient or had a patient ask, "Do I need birth control pills?" And then when you say, "Yeah, we might need to use those," gotten the look of you're batshit well, crazy. Are you crazy? You're background crazy. And why the hell am I coming to you? Because didn't you just listen to me for the last 25 minutes saying I want a baby and you're going to put me on what? Yes. Like, I feel <laughs> like that times. Yeah, that's that's a regular occurrence. So the thing is birth control pills, uh, The what I tell my residents, all my, my trainees is that the REI docs are the masters of the menstrual cycle. Like we can manipulate it up, down, backwards. And the sideways. masters of the menstrual cycle. I like that. The masters of the menstrual cycle. I mean, it's kind of a nice <laughs> ring to it, right? Like I feel like I should put this on yeah. my CV. Yeah. Um, and so our goal is to manipulate it to get what we want. And so a lot of times for patients, it is more socially acceptable for me to say, I'm going to give you estrogen and then progesterone to do this. Well, really what I'm doing is I'm giving you birth control. I'm just not saying birth control because (laughs) it doesn't elicit that emotional reaction. But birth control pills are amazingly helpful when you need to control somebody's cycle. And that can be for purely social reasons, like she has a heinous work schedule and this is the time she is in town and available. And so we're going to do that. It can be because she is traveling from another country. And so we have to nail the timing down because there's international flights to deal with. Um, Sometimes it can be for for other very medical reasons of she's got a big old cyst and I want to get that sucker out of there before I try to stimulate everything else. And so you put her on birth control pills, you even out the hormonal instruction. So it's not that real rhythmic up and down that we normally see. And um, and you, you flatten that out so that you get rid of cysts so that you can control the cycle. Sometimes it's because women have periods that don't do anything as they should. They do whatever the hell they want. And um, and that gets annoying. Like that gets annoying for you. That gets annoying for us. That's like a 
All we want to do is tell you, okay, you can start now. And a birth control pill can really speed that along. It can actually improve outcomes, especially like if we're doing hysteroscopy and we're needing to take out polyps or fibroids in the uterus, it helps to keep the lining thin so we can see exactly what we need to take care of. And we also use it often in IVF because it helps the little follicles get in sync with each other. So they're all about the same size and we can have a whole cohort grow at the same rate. And so, you know, an important thing to remember is when we're giving you birth control pills, it's because we actually want you to get to your outcome faster. It's not to slow you down. And I think that's what a lot of our patients sometimes feel. Now, is there any evidence that we're aware of that birth control pills are going to hurt somebody's fertility? Wait, before you go on, Uh I'll just throw this in. Since we're reproductive endocrinologists, so we're reproductive endocrinology and infertility is our specialty. There's a lot of reproductive endocrinology reasons why we put people on birth control. You guys kind of said them. One is to cycle women. So they're really good to cycle people so that they um, don't have a higher risk of endometrial cancer. If you're somebody that has PCOS and your line gets really thick, if you don't have a period every few months, if that happens year after year after year, you're at a much higher risk than the average person in the population for uh, for endometrial cancer. We also use it sometimes for people that have endometriosis. Like if you're somebody that has endometriosis and say you're going to do IVF and get pregnant, a lot of times after you have the baby and after you've maybe finished breastfeeding, a lot of times we'll recommend that you go back on birth control pills because it kind of keeps you stable and keeps the endometriosis hopefully from growing back again. Um, The other reasons we use it, and this is not necessarily the reason we use it, but it as a side effect, the really nice thing about birth control pills, if you're on them for more than a year or so, it has been shown to decrease your risk of ovarian cancer and also decrease your risk of colon cancer. So there's a lot of good things that birth control pills do that we don't really think about. Oh, and one last thing, bone, bone density too. So it's good for people people that have yeah. that have hypothalamic amenorrhea sometimes if they're not trying to get pregnant currently, we'll put them on, on birth control pills because the estrogen in the birth control pill will at least let them maintain their bone density and it may even in some cases increase it just a little bit. So we all have patients who come in and they're like, I was on birth control pills for 10 years and now I've been trying to get pregnant for three years. And I think the birth control pills are what did it. Did it cause a problem? (laughs) No. So birth control pills. And another thing that I am forever lecturing my residents about, if someone comes in and they've been on birth control pills for a long time, when they go off the birth control pills, their cycle should reappear within six months. If it has been longer than six months and their cycle has not reappeared, it is not the fault of the birth control Uh pills. It was more likely that the birth control pills masked something, meaning the ovaries were failing, they were running out of gas and and the birth control pills hid that because they keep you cycling because they're providing you with estrogen and they're providing you with progesterone. But that is not the fault of the birth control pill. That is, you know, makeup doesn't, makeup doesn't make a person who has bad skin have better skin. It just happens <laughs> that they have bad skin. You know, this, yeah. is, this is makeup. It it serves its purpose, which is very useful, but it doesn't cause inherent problems. You know, and interestingly, interestingly enough too, I've had several patients and I'm sure you guys have had these patients too that maybe had PCOS. And so they were on birth control pills to help them cycle. And so sometimes they'll see me and they'll go, well, you know, I got pregnant on my own. Like I stopped those birth control pills and like, you know, I had a couple of periods and with that second, you know, right after that second period, I got pregnant on my own. And then I've had other patients that have said that, you know, they've said, well, I've used birth control pills. I stop them for two months. I have normal periods. And then all of a 
sudden I just go haywire again. And I think that's really kind of the birth control pills are, are coming out of your system. And within usually about three months, you're kind of back to whatever your baseline was before you were on the birth control pills. But you actually, especially if you've been using continuous birth control pills where you're not using the placebo week type of thing, um, you are more fertile right after you come off of them than you are necessarily later. So they can sometimes give you a little, little jump start per se. Exactly, exactly. And when we're talking about birth control pills, we're also including things like birth control patches and things like that, that, that work. NuvaRing. NuvaRing that, that act through the same hormonal mechanisms as just Mm -hmm. through your skin or your vaginal mucosa or that type of thing. All right. So let's talk about IUDs. So there's a couple of different types of IUDs. What are those? The copper, simple one, and Carrie. The hormonal (laughs) or medicated. (laughs) How how are these different? So the copper one basically just has copper in it. And quite frankly, I don't know a ton about it because I don't have many patients that are on it. But all IUDs work through inflammation. They cause inflammation in the uterine cavity. We think that that's the primary mechanism of action because we know some women can actually ovulate um, with the IUD. With the hormonal IUD, basically it secretes hormones and it's levonorgestrel primarily in the cavity, it tends to thin out the lining. And so a lot of people actually use an IUD, um, even if they don't really necessarily need birth control, but they have really heavy periods, it can thin the lining down and make it less likely to have them to have irregular bleeding. And in fact, for my friends that are gynecologists, I know they do a lot less hysterectomies on women for irregular bleeding, because we know now if they if a p- person has irregular bleeding and puts an IUD in, a lot of times they become amenorrheic, which means they just stop having periods altogether. Very good. Who who would be some people in the fertility realm that we might have an IUD in at the same time we may be doing some sort of fertility intervention? So a couple different options. Um, One is people who are freezing their eggs, whether that's egg donors or people who have to freeze for whatever other reason, whether that's uh, preventative egg freezing, whether it's because they're about to go through cancer treatment, what have you. They can have IUDs in place and it doesn't impact our ability to go through retrieval. And that applies both to the hormonal and to the copper ones. Um, And so there's no reason to take it out. These are people who still want, need the birth control afterwards. So that's fine to leave it in. Um, Another group of people are people who have endometrial dysfunction. So think of PCOS patients who have super, super thick linings. Think about patients who have endometrial cancer. Think about people who have, and usually it's a low-grade endometrial cancers, but people who have endometrial hyperplasia, which is one of the precursors to endometrial cancers. All of these people who need to get rid of their um, their lining because it is abnormal, you can put an IUD in and get continuous impact while still be able while still being able to do a full IVF egg retrieval. Um, and, and you can do stuff simultaneously and get the best of both worlds. Um, there's also people who, as they are going through, they can't get pregnant for whatever reason. Let's say they've got a really um, strong medical reason. They know they have to do surrogacy and they cannot get pregnant because they have heart problems, they have lung problems, whatever it may be, autoimmune disease. And they need to keep their, their IUDs in because getting pregnant is extraordinarily risky. Good deal. Those are the ones that I can think of off the top. I think those are great. Um, what about and one other side note about IUD? Are we going on to a different topic? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So one side note, this is kind of under the range of if you are in this field long enough, you kind of see a little bit of everything. And not that this potentially could happen to you, but one time I had a patient who came in and um she had had an IUD and the IUD had come out and because nobody could find the strings. And so 
she kept having all these irregular cycles and she'd never really had irregular cycles before, gotten pregnant really easily previously. And so we couldn't really figure out kind of what the issue was with her cycles. But one of the things I wanted to do was to check her fallopian tubes because sometimes you worry a little bit, rare, rare, but if you have an IUD in place in like the first 20 days, if you were to get an infection in the uterus, sometimes it could increase the risk of scar tissue. So we did an HSG on her to look at her fallopian tubes. And so the really interesting thing about IUDs is they have this little radiopaque thing. So they show up with an x-ray. And so we did her HSG and we happened to notice that she had this little T-shaped structure on her x-ray. And what had actually happened apparently is that somehow the IUD had perforated through the uterus so no one could see the strings or anything. So it still had the same hormonal impact. It just wasn't in the uterus. And so, um, so once the IUD got taken out laparoscopically, then she got pregnant pretty quickly after that. So if your IUD strings are not around, don't assume that it's fallen out. Just think about that. Mm-hmm. And the other side note is there's a lot of people who are really um, suspicious of IUDs because they're they're worried about what Abby just talked about. They don't want something that's indwelling. Um, the predominant birth control among gynecologists is IUDs. Yeah. And these are the women who know because these are the women who are dealing with it day in, day out. And this is what they, you know, eat, sleep, breathe professionally. And so if if you need, if you want to forget the data and just go by anecdotal stories, a lot of gynecologists use this as their birth control, as the preferred method. And if you even suggest to them doing something else, they're like, why? You know, I love this. This works. Yeah. And this is a great form of birth control. I didn't mean to say that to scare anybody away. It's a great form of birth control. It's really effective. But, um, but you know, if something, if you're an infertility patient and your cycles haven't returned to normal again after the IUD, just not want to check that out. So yeah. all in all, should an IUD previous use without the history of the IUD being perforated or embedded in the uterus, which is a very rare complication. Do or most, infected, which is also really rare. Exactly. Exactly. With, with the exception of kind of those three things, should prior IUD use usually affect future fertility? No, it shouldn't. Nope. Very good. It's a great form of birth control. And usually when you take it out, it's fine. You get pregnant pretty quickly. Very good. Very good. What about the um, implantable devices that typically go in your arm, like Nexplanon and the different brands such as that? So whenever you start talking about those Usually, those should not cause too much of a problem. Sometimes their hormonal impact does last a little bit longer. Um, but oftentimes, once you once you pull them out, they've got a reasonable return to fertility, kind of like in the, the birth control pill category of within the next six months, stuff's out of the system. There's some caveats there. And the I'm going to go to the, the next injectable mm-hmm. uh, form of this, which is Depo-Provera, um, which is a phenomenal form of birth control because you, you don't have to get injected very often. You just show up for your appointment and then you go, you know, however long without worrying about it until your next appointment. And so it's a phenomenal form of birth control. But when you have something like Depo-Provera that's an injected an injectable into the arm, that lasts a lot longer. And so yes. someone who's just gotten one or two Depo injections is probably not going to have a huge impact. But some women have been on Depo for a long time because it really works for them. And so when I've got somebody who's been on Depo for years, when they go off, it can take a year sometimes longer for their cycles to return. And so when you're taking out the discrete object like implant on, next on the, whatever the raw, current rod of the moment is, to put <laughs> 
that tends to fade pretty quickly. But when you're doing a depot formulation of a medication, particularly if you've been doing it year over year over year over year, it takes a lot longer to get your periods returned to normal. You will often go for months and months without having a period at all. And then you get the screwball bleeding that is sort of reassuring, but also not because it's not bleeding from ovulation. It's it's just a dysregulated bleeding. Um, and so depo provera is is probably in my book the one that I get most frustrated with because yeah. mm-hmm. really the best thing we can do is wait it out. And yes. you know, you can you can do IVF, you can overpower it, but that's not what most people want. You just have to wait. Yeah. And things like Nexo Nexplanon and Depo are not great for spacing children because sometimes, you know, we have infertility patients who get pregnant and they're like, I have this little baby or two little babies at home right now. I couldn't, I don't want to be pregnant in the next year or whatever. That's probably not your best birth control. Um, probably not Nexplanon or Depo because like Carrie said, you just kind of never know when they get it are going to get out of your system. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Well, let's talk a little bit about tubal ligation. So, I mean, obviously we do IVF with people who've had tubal ligations, but should that history be something that could negatively affect their pregnancy chances with IVF? Typically a tubal, like a tubal ligation by itself, which is in a different class than a vasectomy. Um, Both are tubes being tied, but they're very different functions of the tubes. The typically a tubal ligation should not impair someone's fertility uh, fertility uh, factors later on. Now, I remember there was always some some data that was questionable about if you are too aggressive in doing the tubal and you impact the blood supply of the ovary, that can have an impact. I don't see many people doing that. Like most people are very meticulous when they're taking out the tubes. They just they go for exactly the tubes and they hug really close if they're taking out the full tube, or they're just grabbing a little subsection of the tube. Now we do work about a little bit higher risk of an ectopic um, Mm -hmm. just because they, whenever you have someone who's got damaged tubes, whether it's intentional from a ligation or not, there's always that concern of, okay, what else might be damaged? Usually it's not too much of a problem, but never get your tubes tied assuming that you can reverse them uh, because yes, while there is tubal reversal surgeries, fewer and fewer people do it because it's not as reliable. It increases your risk of ectopic or abnormal pregnancies. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, it doesn't solve any of the other problems associated with age and sperm factors and and all of the other stuff that impacts fertility. So never, ever get your tubes tied, male or female, assuming that you can reverse that easily. Because the goal of the doc when you do that is you are telling them, I don't want to be pregnant anymore. And they are going to take that seriously. And they're going to do their best to make sure you cannot get pregnant anymore. Um, and Keep that in mind. Yeah, one other note, you know, not that anybody would do this for a birth control method and not that we would recommend this for any reason, but, you know, we do have patients that have had a hysterectomy for whatever reason, either an emergency at the time of a C-section or for whatever reason. I do sometimes see in those patients more that the blood supply issue to the ovaries may be a, a factor. Um, sometimes patients will come to us and want, to, want us to retrieve eggs from those patients because they still have ovaries. They just don't have a uterus. Um but the ovaries sometimes don't respond quite as well. So just kind of FYI, I do think there is some blood flow issue if a lot of blood supply is interrupted, you know, to the ovaries. Yeah, I think I think some of it has to do with the situation that that you're in at the time. You know, if, yeah. if, if you're going in it's, and it's you a have a me. It, you yeah. know, if it's a C-hist where they're worried about your you bleeding out from your uterus yeah. after you've had a baby, or you have a ruptured ectopic pregnancy where they're just wanting to trying stop. to save your life. Basically. They're trying to save where your the life. The goal is to keep you alive. Yes. yes. The goal is to keep you alive, keep you safe. Um, I mean, I think we all see people who who 
have some diminished ovarian reserve after some sort of tubal surgery. Um, mm -hmm. It's not common, you know, mm -hmm. that type of thing, but but it is. It can't, it it is, can't happen, yeah. It is possible. So just to kind of round out our contraception talk, we, we can't forget about the fellas. Um, so guys... <laughs> Guys who've had vasectomies, um, does does this impact things in, in the future and how much sperm they potentially can produce? Well, actually, if they've had a vasectomy, they the machinery never stops. Year after year after year, they keep making sperm. It's just it can't come out. And so it doesn't come out through ejaculation anymore if the vas deferens have been blocked by on both sides. And so, you know, certainly men that have had vasectomies can have children with a different partner, but it's just a different way, meaning they have, we have to get a urologist involved and the, and the urologist would go in and actually take sperm um, from the testes or from, from the epididymis and basically use that as part of IVF. Now, the part that shocks people a lot of times when they come to our office, they sort of envision going to see the urologist, he takes some sperm out, and then they do some intrauterine inseminations in the office and they get pregnant. Unfortunately, because there's a limit as to how much sperm that the urologist can get, because there's such a small amount, you really can't do office procedures. You really have to do in vitro fertilization. So if the female partner gets 10 or 12 eggs, literally the good news is we only need like 10 or 12 sperm. <laughs> and so that can be um, acquired through doing the procedure by the urologist, uh, but there's just not enough sperm to actually be able to do like an insemination in the office and get people pregnant in that way. And extracted sperm is not the same as ejaculated sperm. Yeah. It's, it has not gone through all of those tubes, which is important for the maturation process. And so I always tell people, you know, yeah, his function may be 100% normal, but because we can't get that production out the same way, oftentimes we see lower fertilization rates, lower good mm -hmm. embryo rates, lower euploidy rates, because this, you have to do ICSI with this. You have to do intracytoplasmic sperm injection because you're not getting enough to rely on standard insemination. And that means that the embryologists are picking out the best looking sperm and out of an extracted specimen, a lot of those specimens aren't very good. And it's yeah. not through any fault of anyone other than just they're having to go a very different route to get that sperm out to be even a chance of usable. Another thing I want to mention is for our guys who have had vasectomies, if you've had your vasectomy for five to 10 years or more, and sometimes we even have people who come in who've had a vasectomy yeah. 15, 20 years, mm -hmm. the longer you've had your vasectomy, if you are trying for a vasectomy reversal, the more likely it may not happen. Yeah. And so especially over 10 years, the chances of there being so significant scarring that you really are not going to be able to ejaculate enough sperm. Going straight to sperm aspiration and IVF is often your best parameter. I mean, mm -hmm. I have a lot of people um, locally, we, we have somebody who does a lot of vasectomy reversals and it's a great service. But the, the fact of the matter is there's still a decent proportion of those guys within six to 12 months, they end up coming to see me because um, there's, there's still just not enough sperm. So if you decide to do a reversal, it's not that it can't be successful, but the longer you've had it, the older you are, the more likely it may not be successful. Yes. Good point. All right. Any other thoughts about contraception and fertility today? Yes. This is the <laughs> one that nobody thinks about. Mm -hmm. Some people use the withdrawal method for oh. contraception. Which withdrawal. is not contraception. Now, I have heard withdrawal method referred to as the pullout method. Mm -hmm. uh, I commonly refer to it as pull and pray. Um, <laughs> but when you're using that as contraception, 
and you come in to see us and you say, oh yeah, we didn't start trying to get pregnant until the last 12 months. What were you using before then? Oh, we've, we've been using the pullout method for our entire Five years. Five years. <laughs> Five years, six years, 10 years, whatever it may be. Know that your fertility doctor is not going to treat that the same way as somebody coming in saying, I had an IUD in place until 12 months ago and I pulled it because mm-hmm. the failure rate is so abysmal with the withdrawal method that we assume something should have happened in those last five years. There yeah. should have been a miscarriage, a biochemical, a pregnancy, something should have happened. And if it didn't, we are a lot more worried about you than if you say, I pulled an IUD, I stopped my birth control pill 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. All right. Lots of good information today. And to our audience, thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more. Um, we're getting really close to our conference on October 28th. We really want to see all of you there. Um, so sign up, come join us in New Braunfels, and we're going to learn about all kinds of things in fertility from people from all over the nation. Um, please visit us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and follow and subscribe. You can also visit fertilitydocsuncensored.com to s- submit specific questions you have about infertility. All questions will be answered on the podcast anonymously for our Acidoc segments, so don't hold back. We love episodes ideas, and we would love to hear them from you in person at the conference. As always, this podcast is intended for entertainment. It's not a substitute for medical advice from your own physician. All right. We'll see you guys soon. Come to New Braunfels. We want to meet you. Bye. Bye. Today's episode was brought to you by A-Life Health. Whether you're currently going through IVF or looking to create a digital record, the A-Life app can help you stay organized, informed, and empowered throughout the entire IVF journey. Download the A-Life app today, now available on the Apple App Store.